order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Mr Gordon Marsden. Question one, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Gordon Marsden. Mr Speaker, may I associate myself and I hope the whole House with what the Prime Minister and others from the Government have said about the attacks in Paris. Uh, No man or woman is an island. People from Blackpool were among those murdered on a Tunisian beach and our tower was lit in red, white and blue like other places worldwide for those killed by the terrorists in France. Now, Mr Speaker, I raised concerns with the Prime Minister here two weeks ago about neighbourhood policing and security being threatened by the scale of proposed cuts and the Lancashire funding formula, which has now been admitted as flawed. Can I ask him to reflect on the words, when facts change, I change my mind, and when police local intelligence can be crucial against terrorists, perhaps this isn't the time to jeopardise it with arbitrary Treasury targets for cuts? Well, first of all, thank you very much. Can I thank the Honourable Gentleman for what he says um, uh, about uh, Paris and the importance of the whole House coming together over this issue? And perhaps the House would like a, a brief update. As I said yesterday, one British national, Nick Alexander, was killed at the Bataclan Theatre. Three other British nationals have now been released from hospital and have been returned to the UK. And the Foreign Office and Red Cross are providing support for at least another 15 British nationals for, for trauma. We'll make sure we provide all the support to those injured and traumatised by the events that have happened. There's been some progress this morning in France in terms of uh, terrorist arrests, and perhaps I can say more about that later on uh, during the session. On policing, what I'd say to the Honourable Gentleman is that we have, quite rightly, in this Parliament, protected counter-terrorism policing. Uh, We're going to protect that again in this Parliament. Uh, What we've done in terms of uh, policing otherwise is we've seen an increase in neighbourhood officers of 3,800 over the Parliament, and we've seen a 31% cut in crime. Let me commend the police, not just counter-terrorism police, but all police for the work that they do, and we'll announce our proposals in terms of police spending next week. Mr Mr. Speaker, as our hearts go out to the people of France at this time, will the Prime Minister agree with me that the first duty of Her Majesty's Government must be to protect British citizens from harm? (coughs) So will he take immediate action to secure our UK borders from those who threaten our nation and on security grounds alone restore complete sovereignty over our British borders from the European Union. I think my honourable friend raises a very important question, and I want to explain in answering a very important point, which is because the UK is not in the Schengen area, we already retain full control over who is entering our country, and we're able to check all entrants at the border, EU nationals and EEA nationals included, and the House might be interested to know that since 2010 we've refused entry to almost 6,000 EU nationals, and over 3,800 of these were stopped at our juxtaposed border controls in Calais. In terms of other people we've stopped coming in, since 2010 we've denied entry to nearly 95,000 people. And of course, one of the reasons, one of the principal reasons for not letting people to come into our country, EU nationals or non-EU nationals, is national security concerns. We have that situation already because we're not in Schengen. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, thank you, Mr. Speaker. 
I want to start, I want to start Mr. Speaker, by expressing the horror of all those on this side of the House at the events in Paris on Friday evening and our continued solidarity with the victims of all the people affected by conflict and terrorism, whether they be in Paris, Beirut, Ankara, Damascus or anywhere else in the world. Nothing can justify targeting of innocent civilians by anyone. We know that at least one British national has been killed and many more injured. Many British people live and work in Paris. Millions visit Paris and France every year. Can the Prime Minister continue what he was saying earlier in response to my friend, the member for Blackpool, about the support given to British nationals affected by the attacks and what the Government's latest advice is in travelling to France and our need to show the best possible normality in our relations with all the French people? Prime Minister. Well, first of all, can I thank the Leader of the Opposition for his remarks and say what a um, pleasure it was to be uh, with him last night at the England-France football match, where I thought there was a tremendous display of solidarity. Uh, I don't, uh, I'm sure they can sing the Marseillaise louder in the Stade de France, but I think we did a pretty good job yesterday, and I was proud to be there. Um, I think he's absolutely right to say there is never any justification for terrorism, and we should all be clear about that right across the House at all times. He asked specifically about what more we can do to help British people caught up in these problems. I think Peter Ricketts, our ambassador in France, has done a brilliant job with his staff, and uh, I've been keeping my eye closely on the consular situation, and I think everything that can be done is being done. In terms of our travel advice, it's all there on the Foreign Office website, but I agree with him. The most important thing is for people to carry on with their lives. It's very important that Eurostar continues to function, that flights continue to go, that people continue to travel, to enjoy London, to enjoy Paris, and to carry on going about our business. As we do so, yes, we need enhanced security, and that is happening with the way that the police are acting here in the UK and elsewhere, but one of the ways to defeat terrorism is to show them we will not be cowed. Thank you, Mr Speaker. We know that, sadly, after such atrocities as we have seen, intolerance often increases, Islamophobia, anti-Semitism and racism. Will the Prime Minister agree with me that it is vital that everyone in public life, particularly we as politicians, are careful how we discuss these issues? And Will he also join with me in making it very clear that the dreadful events of terrorism in Paris have nothing in common whatsoever with the two million British Muslims in this country who are as appalled as anyone else by the events in Paris last Friday. I'm happy to join the right honourable gentleman in that. In fact, some of the strongest and best statements following the Paris attacks have been made by a whole series of British Muslims coming together to say that these attacks are in no way carried out in their name. But I do think, and we talked about this yesterday, it raises an important issue, which is it cannot be said often enough that these butchers of ISIL are no reflection of the true religion of Islam, which is a religion of peace. But at the same time, we do have to recognise that whether these terrorists are in Tunisia or in Egypt or in Paris or in London, they spout the same bile that they claim comes from the religion of Islam. And that is why we have to take apart what they say and prove that's not the case. But it's not good enough to say there's no connection between these terrorists and Islam. They're making a connection. We need to prove it's not right. And as we do so, the support of Muslim communities, Muslim scholars, is absolutely vital, and I commend them for their work. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Surely a crucial way to help defeat ISIL is to cut off its funding, its supply of arms and its trade. 
Can I press the Prime Minister to ensure that our allies in the region, indeed all countries in the region, are doing all they can to clamp down on individuals and institutions in their countries who are providing ISIL with vital infrastructure? Will he, through the European Union and other forums if necessary, consider sanctions against those banks and companies and, if necessary, countries who turn a blind eye to financial dealings with ISIL which assist them in their work? No, well, we do play a leading role, as I said yesterday, in making sure that the supply of money and weapons and support is cut off. But I think we should be clear about where ISIL got their money from originally. What happened was that because we didn't have a, a government in Iraq that effectively represented all of its people, and because in Syria you have a leader who is butchering his own people, ISIL was able to get hold of oil, get hold of weapons, get hold of territory, get hold of banks, and it's that that they've been able to use uh, to, in order to fund their hatred and their violence. And so we cannot dodge forever the question of how to degrade and destroy ISIL, both in Iraq and in Syria. And that's why I'll be setting out my response to the Foreign Affairs Select Committee. So yes, go after the money, go after the banks, cut off their supplies, but don't make that a substitute for the action that's required to beat these people where they are. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Next week, the Chancellor will present his autumn statement to the House. Can the Prime Minister clarify something about the source of the necessary extra funding to be set out for the security services, which we support? Will it come at the expense of other areas, either within the Home Office budget or within other areas of public spending, or from the reserves or from new funding? Does he want me to go on longer so the Chancellor can explain the answer to him? <laughs> set out in full our decisions next week, but we've already said that we'll be funding an increase in the security services of 1,900 personnel, we'll be safeguarding the counter-terrorism budget, and we will be seeing an increase in terms of aviation security. All of this is part of an overall spending settlement. At the same time as funding our security, increasing our defence spending, we have to make decisions that eradicate our budget deficit and keep our economy strong. We don't do this just for the current generation, we do it for our children and our grandchildren, because none of these services, none of these things, not even strong defence, is possible without a strong economy. I'm not absolutely sure where the money is coming from following the Prime Minister's answer, but no doubt it will come. Um, London has, Mr Speaker, London has been targeted by terrorists before. And this weekend's events in Paris have focused attention not just on London, but obviously on other cities throughout the whole of Britain. Policing plays a vital role in community cohesion, gathering intelligence of those who may be about to be a risk to all of us. But this is surely undermined if we cut the number of police officers by 5,000. Does the Prime Minister agree with the Commissioner of the Metropolitan Police, Sir Bernard Hogan Howe, who said, and I quote, I genuinely worry about the safety of London if the cuts go through on this scale? Well, first of all, the right hon. Gentleman asked where does the money come from. We on this side of the House never forget that every penny we spend comes from taxpayers. And, and borrowed 
borrowed money is simply taxes that are deferred. And that's why it's so important to eradicate our deficit at the same time as making sure we fund our security, intelligence services and police properly. Now, I've said we're protecting the counter-terrorism budget. We see a 3,800 increase in neighbourhood police officers in the last Parliament, at the same time as a 31% increase in uh, 31% cut in crime. Now, his shadow Home Secretary has said that a 10% efficiency target for the police is doable. Is the Leader of the Opposition saying that he doesn't agree with his Shadow Home Secretary? There does seem to be a little bit of disagreement on the Opposition front bench today. Jeremy Corbyn! I have a question from a taxpayer, actually. And his name is John, and he says, at a time... At a time... And he says, Mr Speaker, at a time when we're experiencing the greatest threats from terrorism ever faced, our police office numbers and the resources are being cut. And he goes on to say, demands on the police have been increasing steadily as budgets are slashed, increasing stress on officers. Couple that with detrimental changes to their pay, terms, conditions and pensions. It's no wonder that morale in the police force is so poor that one in three are considering leaving the force. Will he be able to tell us whether or not this community policing and other police budgets are protected or not in next week's autumn statement? Minister. Let me tell him again, neighbourhood policing numbers have gone up by 3,800. In the capital city, we've seen a 500% increase in neighbourhood uh, policing. We've also, because we've cut bureaucracy, put the equivalent of an extra 2,000 police on the streets. But I'll tell the Leader of the Opposition something. As well as wanting resources, the police want the appropriate powers. And hasn't it come to something when the Leader of Her Majesty's opposition thinks that the police, when confronted by a Kalashnikov waving terrorist, isn't sure what the reaction should be. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, the attacks on Paris were quite clearly an attack on all of us. Does the Prime Minister agree that our resolve must be unbreakable? We should hunt down ISIL wherever it is operating wherever it is planning, wherever it is plotting. And if that means shoot to kill, then so be it. And if that means action in Syria, then so be it. I think my honourable friend is right. What I've said is that in order to respond to this very severe threat that we face, we need focus on counter-terrorism here in the United Kingdom, giving our intelligence agencies the laws they need, giving our police the powers they need, and making sure we are vigilant. We need counter-extremism, as we were discussing earlier, the importance of stopping the poisoning of these young minds, not least uh, through these radical preachers on the internet. But we also need to stop the problems at their source. We know where much of this problem is coming from. It is ISIL, not just in Iraq, but ISIL in Syria. So what I said to the House yesterday today is I will prepare a detailed response to the Foreign Affairs Select Committee report to demonstrate that we do have a clear strategy of bringing in the neighbourhood powers, bringing in the regional powers, uh, building a, a future for these countries and stability in the Middle East, but I believe part of that is taking action against ISIL wherever it is. Sir Angus Robertson. Yeah. 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 Much, Mr. Speaker. In the wake of terrorist outrages and the ongoing civil war, 
uh, in Syria, it's very welcome that there is significant diplomatic progress in trying to find a solution to the Syrian crisis. The UK joined the United States and France and Russia and Iran at talks in Vienna at the weekend and all signed a communique committing to progress through the United Nations. Will the Prime Minister confirm that he will support a UN Security Council resolution on this before seeking to intervene militarily in Syria? I'm grateful to the right honourable gentleman asking this question because the point is this, that Russia has different aims to us and they have repeatedly threatened to veto any such resolution. Now, of course, it is always preferable in these circumstances to have the full backing of the United Nations Security Council, but I have to say what matters most of all is that any action we would take would both be legal and would help protect our country and our people right here. You cannot, as I said yesterday, outsource to a Russian veto the decisions we need to keep our country safe. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, the first survey of UK public opinion on Syrian intervention since the Paris attacks by Servation has shown the following. 52% believe that, and I quote, the UK should engage with all countries to coordinate an appropriate response militarily or otherwise backed by United Nations resolution, and only 15% believe the UK should independently launch airstrikes. Will the Prime Minister give a commitment to secure a UN Security Council resolution, which the UK agreed to and Russia agreed to a route through the United Nations as well? Uh, I couldn't be clearer with the uh, right honourable gentleman. Of course, it is always preferable in whatever action you're taking, whether we are lifting people out of the Mediterranean, whether we're flying Baltic air patrolling missions over countries that feel a Russian threat, or if we're taking action in the Middle East against ISIL, it's always preferable to have a UN Security Council resolution. But if they are vetoed or threatened with a veto over and over again, my job, frankly, as Prime Minister, is not to read a Servation opinion poll, but is to do the right thing to keep our country safe. Mr. Speaker, the French armed police who stormed the Bataclan and killed those vile, murderous scum are heroes. And so are the British armed forces, uh, armed police who protect our public spaces and the people. Will the Prime Minister send a note of unequivocal support today to those officers on patrol and ensure that in the review next week they have the resources they need to keep us safe. I absolutely agree with my honourable friend. We ask the police every day to take risks on our behalf and let me thank the police who policed so effectively the game at Wembley uh, last night. In terms of what the French police have done, I think the House would welcome uh, an update. We've seen the news of a police operation in Paris this morning. Two terrorist suspects died, including a female suspect who blew herself up. Seven arrests are reported to have been made. This operation has now finished. And as the French Interior Minister has said, we should all acknowledge the bravery of the French police in dealing with what is a very challenging situation. Now, I hope there can be consensus across the House, and I mean right across the House on this. If we are confronted with a situation like this, the British police should not be in any doubt. If you, if you have a terrorist who is threatening to kill people, you can, indeed you must, use lethal force. Bill Wilson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In a recent Financial Times article, President Obama said, 
I have emphasised the importance of tax credits to help working families afford childcare and keep two earner families in the workplace. Does the Prime Minister agree with the importance the President of the United States has attached to tax credits? Well, what I think is important is that we do the best we can to help low-paid people, and that's why we're taking people out of income tax. Three million of the lowest paid taken out of income tax since I became Prime Minister. We're going to be setting an 11,000 threshold before people have to start paying tax at all. We're helping working families with childcare. We're helping with a national living wage of £7.20 starting next year, something I suspect President Obama would love to introduce in the United United States. We're doing it right here. Uh, th- thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, integrating health and social care will be a great prize for devolved cities and regions. But without effective democratic and clinical oversight, things can go badly wrong. Already in Manchester, a major hospital reorganisation is awaiting judicial review. Can I urge my right honourable friend to ensure that proper safeguards are in place? so the local authorities retain a last resort power to refer <coughs> NHS changes for independent clinical review. Minister. Well, I, I will look carefully at what my honourable friend says, but I think this does go to a larger point, which is we are currently changing the way our country is run. These big devolution deals, first to Greater Manchester, but now with the announcements yesterday to Liverpool and the West Midlands, mean we're going to have powerful metro mayors who are accountable to local people for the decisions that they make. I think that's a very direct form of accountability, and that's why I think we can be confident of devolving health and social care to those authorities. For too long, our country has been too centralised, and I think the great cities of Manchester and Birmingham, Liverpool, soon to be Leeds, I hope, will benefit from these massive devolution deals. But if we devolve the power and we devolve the money, we've got to devolve the trust and the accountability too. Randy MacDonald. Against the backdrop of a tidal wave of local job losses, the Teesside Collective for Industrial Carbon Capture has the very real potential to secure a major step change in our industrial renaissance. Ahead of the Paris Conference, will the Prime Minister meet with me and the industrial leaders driving this project so we can secure these immense climate change gains with the UK leading this new industrial revolution and make this initiative a reality for Teesside and the UK. Well, I know how important it is that we all work on behalf of Teesside, not least because of the difficulties that there have been in Redcar, and that's why we have the task force, and that's why the additional resources are going in. I'm very happy to look at the project he talks about. It may be best for him to meet with the Energy and Climate Change Secretary, because we've got to make important decisions uh, about all of these uh, technologies in the run-up to the Paris Conference and beyond. Craig Tracy. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, In my constituency of North Warwickshire, manufacturing is thriving thanks to innovative uh, small businesses such as Powercut and Naismith Group, who are creating high-quality local jobs and apprenticeships in the engineering sector. Given the challenges that these types of companies face in finding traditional bank and funding support, 
What assurances can the Prime Minister give that this Conservative Government understands the importance of our innovators and will continue to provide initiatives such as the Annual Investment Fund to ensure British businesses continue to lead the way? Well, what I'd say to my honourable friend is we want to rebalance the British economy, not just in terms of the devolution of power I've just talked about, but also see a thriving manufacturing sector. Manufacturers have said to us that what they want to see is continued investment into the catapult centres that do a good job of making sure technology is taken up. They want to see strong support for the apprenticeship programme, and we've targeted three million apprentices during this parliament. But they also want to make the annual investment allowance permanent, and it will be permanent at £200,000 throughout this parliament, so manufacturing and companies and others that want to make investments know that they can do so in a way that will be profitable for them. John Mann. Uh, my, my niece, Ruby, is safe and well, having been caught up in the aftermath of the Paris attacks, and talking to her, she wants to know, <coughs> as a student uh, for three years in Paris, whether this country is going to be safe on her return. She's got a question for the Prime Minister. She's worried about the cuts to the ambulance, the police and the fire services in this country and whether we'll have the preparedness with those cuts um, that were shown by those emergency services in Paris. And I also want to know why we're not joining with the Russians to get a UN mandate to remove ISIS from Syria. Well, first of all, can I say how glad I am to hear that his, his niece is safe after these terrible attacks. To answer her question very directly, we are doing everything we can to make sure this country is safe. After the intelligence we had some years ago about the potential of a marauding firearms attack at multiple locations in perhaps the capital city or elsewhere in our country, uh, we have run uh, exercises, we've done research, we've looked at everything we can to make sure, for instance, that ambulances and their crews would be able to go into a so-called hot zone and recover casualties, that we have the right number of armed police in the different parts of our country, that we can respond, including uh, using other forces in all the ways that we can. We've looked carefully at what the French have done in terms of surging uh, troops onto their streets, and we've made sure that that can now happen here and the permissions are all given. There's never a 100% guarantee of safety in any country, but I'd say to Anise we're doing everything uh, that we, we possibly can. Jesse Norman. Uh, thank you, Mr. Yeah. Speaker. Uh, in that spirit, I warmly congratulate the Prime Minister on new funding that's been announced for Special Forces uh, equipment. But may I draw his attention to the plight of David and Maria Summers in my constituency who have struggled to obtain a permanent residency for Maria despite being married for 45 years? And may I ask the Prime Minister if he would encourage officials to look again at this case? Minister. Well, I'm very happy to look again at this case, but it does give me the opportunity, given the constituency he represents, to just say something about a group of people that we say very little about because we don't comment on the amazing work they do. But Hereford is a very important part of the nation's security, both domestically and overseas. Very, very brave people work there, and we should all give them our credit. Tulip City. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. My constituent was a soldier in Iraq and Afghanistan and is currently training to be a doctor in London. He told me that with the proposed junior doctor's contracts, morale in the NHS is lower now than at any point during his time on the front line. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that low morale amongst our junior doctors and nurses 
is a threat to patient safety? Well, what I'd say to the Honourable Lady's constituency and indeed to all junior doctors is please look very carefully at what the government is offering before you decide to go on strike. Because what is on offer is not an increase in hours. Indeed, for many doctors, it will mean less uh, long hours. It's not a, a cut in the pay bill for junior doctors. It's actually an 11% basic pay increase. It'll mean a better rostering of doctors, including at weekends, with more support for consultants. And I'd say to her constituent, as I'd say to others, go on the Department of Health website, look at the pay calculator, and see how you will be affected, because we've given a guarantee that anyone working legal hours will not be worse off under this contract. This is good for the NHS, good for doctors, good for patients, and even at this late hour, I hope the BMA will call off their damaging strike. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Fundamental to the success of the Good Friday Agreement was a spirit of peace and reconciliation that saw dozens or even hundreds of convicted terrorists released from prison. Many had been found guilty of murder. Yet in the last week, we hear the alarming news of a 66-year-old former paratrooper being arrested in connection with events that took place in Londonderry 43 years ago. In a week when we are all having to once again contemplate sending our young men and women into harm's way with our security services and police on high alert, what message does the Prime Minister feel this sends to our armed forces, our police and our security services? What I would say to my honourable friend, and I understand uh, his concern and the feelings that many will have on seeing this news, but the truth is about our country is one of the most important things about it is the government doesn't decide who is prosecuted and who is not prosecuted. We have the rule of law. We have independent prosecuting authorities. This is something that people across the world cry out for and we have here and we have to support them even when they take decisions that sometimes we would want to question. Let me just in that context make a broader point that yesterday the parties, the principal parties in Northern Ireland, came together and agreed a deal to make sure that the devolved institutions can continue to work. Now, that deal involved people who have lost loved ones to terrorism, who have been opposed to each other all of their lives, sitting down, working together to try and deliver good government for this part of our United Kingdom. And it's that spirit we should look to for the future. Imran Hussein. Uh, Mr Speaker, the decision last week by HMRC to close their offices in the Bradford district will mean the loss of over 2,000 high-skill, high-wage jobs, 1.2 million in business rates and almost 12 million of the district's retail spending. This will have a devastating impact on Bradford's families and economy. So can the Prime Minister give me assurances that HMRC will meet with Bradford MPs to consider the clear economic and social case for keeping those offices in Bradford open. First of all, I'm I'm happy to ask the Financial Secretary to meet with uh, the uh, local MPs. Uh, The second thing I'll say is that we'll make sure that uh, Job Centre Plus and all the support is there for people who potentially are losing their jobs. The point I'd make in Bradford more broadly is, of course, the claimant count is down by 26% in the last year, so jobs are available. But let me make this point, because it is a difficult and important point to make. Everyone in this House wants to see HMRC raise more money and make sure that people don't and companies don't avoid their taxes. And that does mean reform, and it means to make sure that HMRC is even more effective in raising the taxes on which our public services depend. Sir Alan Hazelhurst. 
Acknowledging that uh, sport can bring a nation together, and for that matter nations, as was demonstrated at Wembley last night, would my right honourable friend ensure that in addition to the welcome extra investment in the police and security services, investment in sports such as cricket will be maintained because they are a tool to help us face longer term challenges in integrating communities? Well, I, I'm sure that over the next week the um, spending requests will quicken as we get closer to the spending review. I think it is important that we've put in place the uh, the, the school sport premium for primary schools, and it's making a real difference. But of course, there's a role for the sporting bodies to play themselves. Many of them receive large amounts of money from the television contracts, and the more of them that can use that money to invest in grassroots sports to make sure we're bringing on the young stars of tomorrow, that is absolutely vital. Jonathan Reynolds. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. As the new leader of the anti austerity movement in Oxfordshire, can the Prime Minister tell us how is his campaign going? Prime Minister! What I, um, what I said to my local council is what I say to every council, which is you've got to get more for less, not less for more. As I said, on this side of the House, we want to make sure that every penny that's raised in council tax is well spent. And if his council would like to come in and get the same advice, I'll gladly oblige. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, Mr. Speaker at a time when my right honourable friend so rightly emphasises the need for our solidarity with France, could I ask him if he could see what he could do to ensure that the Franco-British Council, set up over 40 years ago by both governments to promote civil society partnership, can continue to do its important work in fields as diverse as defence and community cohesion? Because without a very small amount of funding from both governments, it will not be able to do that. I'm very happy to look at that proposal. I think, look, frankly, France and Britain have a lot to learn from each other, and we should enter into these discussions in that spirit. We've got a lot to learn about how we try and integrate people into our country, a lot to learn about how we have effective counter-terrorism policing, a lot to learn about how we share intelligence, and I'm very committed to making sure uh, that we pursue all those things with our, our French friends. Bon Thank you, Mr Speaker. Wigan Council has had over a 40% cut in its funding over the last five years and lost a third of its staff. Does the Prime Minister advise that I should write to the Leader of the Council regarding the consequent <laughs> reductions in services? Yeah, yeah. Or should I place the blame firmly where it belongs, in the hands of his government? Yeah. I think if the Honourable Lady is looking for someone to blame, she might want to blame the Labour Party that left this country it anywhere in the Western world. And as, as she does so, the advice I'd give her about her local council is look at its overall spending power. It's the combination of business rates, council tax and grant, and ask what money they've got to provide good local services. Order.